Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com and FamilyVisionMedia.org. And listen to us every night from 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time on Sirius XM The Patriot 125. It's my pleasure to welcome my guest for this afternoon. I have Lisa Daftari, an investigative journalist focusing on foreign affairs with a specialization in Middle Eastern policy and counterterrorism. She is the purveyor of the fantastic 100,000 plus strong newsletter, The Foreign Desk. You can subscribe at foreigndesknews.com, which is also her website linked in the podcast show notes. We're going to be discussing Afghanistan, getting her expert analysis, and she's the editor in chief there at The Foreign Desk. We are also going to uh, delve into what has become an unbelievable uh turn of events in Afghanistan and an article that she has at the foreign desk that says that Osama bin Laden thought Biden was a bit of an idiot as well. Lisa, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Stacey. So I just, I, I want to just first off, you know, your straight reactions to this past couple of weeks of carnage and uh, ill-made decisions and lunacy in Afghanistan by the Biden administration. What what have you thought about it and and how have you taken just every turn it's been a 24-hour news cycle yeah you know some of the things we're hearing out of the white house from the state department are just unfathomable that any administration uh that any american would utter these words you know things like working together with the taliban giving them our intel relying on them on the ground the way we let these 13 young americans senselessly die, give their lives for no good reason uh, to, you know, destroy the legacy of the veterans who served in Afghanistan with this irresponsible and unplanned uh, evacuation out of there. Uh, You know, as you go through Twitter, you see how certain people uh, try to defend the uh, White House's position and their actions and it's really embarrassing. I don't think anyone can stand behind these actions if we just really strip ourselves of our political affiliation and look at what happened. Uh, these are Americans. These are people who went there to serve their country. These are people who put America first. And not only them, but how about our allies who were there or the Afghans who assisted us on the ground? What's the message to people assisting us in different countries around the world? What's the message that America will abandon you? Uh, when it comes time, uh, when things get tricky. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's long-term. I mean, obviously, it's, it's it's a bit of a show right now, but long-term speaking, there are so many ripple effects that are concurrently on the minds of those who understand the region, they understand policy, and they understand uh, terrorism and uh, what the ramifications will ultimately be. So I, I know that... You know, the long-term effects are yet to be seen, but we have had so many, such as yourself, who have predicted, um, really, ever since we realized with the incoming Biden administration that they did not plan to to utilize the planned exit strategy that was left to them by the Trump administration. And from there, we kind of have seen bungle after bungle after bungle, just, you know, mistake, 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 the the change of the withdrawal date to September 11th, which would have created an immense opportunity for terrorism. Uh, then the the kind of recalling of that and moving it back into a, a time where we still are in the Afghan fighting season, because 
most people don't think of it that way. We live in America where, you know, our, our region is temperate. And if there's any, anything to be going on, it goes around all year for us. Um, but in Afghanistan, they only fight but in a certain number of months per year, and then it becomes too cold for them and they, they don't actually fight. So to withdraw f- during a time where the fighting season was over would have been much more beneficial also to withdraw from the stronghold of Bagram Air Base instead of withdrawing from the Kabul airport, also leaving the embassy open, which the embassy, the U.S. embassy there was essentially a fortified bunker. Anything would have been preferable to what we actually did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It seems like at, at any turn, uh, you know, if we flip the coin, we'd have better accuracy than what we had. Um, if, if somebody wanted to do sabotage by design, it would probably look like this. Um, and that's why people are left to question, you know, what strategy was employed? I mean, you know, and the, the White House's default defense is to say, well, we have to end this 20-year war. Well, we all agree. But the way in which we evacuated, the way in which we withdrew, like you said, leaving ourselves vulnerable at every turn, uh, making decisions that are extremely poor and putting our own uh, American servicemen and others in harm's way, um, that's that's what's being criticized here. And I think that, that there's so many distractions here, the first one of which being the argument that we had to withdraw and this is the way we had to do it. Second argument being that this the Trump administration, they're the ones who started you know, the negotiations with the Taliban. That's bogus. A, when did they, this administration ever feel compelled to follow in the footsteps of Trump's foreign policy? They did a 180 on all of Trump's foreign policy within the first 48 hours of coming into office. So why not this? If, if this is, in fact, what they, they claim it to be, which is not Trump's policy. Trump's policy was to, yes, sit down with the Taliban to say, we can't get rid of you. You're going to be a part of the landscape of Afghanistan. But he was not about to serve Afghanistan up on a platter to the Taliban to leave our weapons and all of our, um, you know, uh, strategy and plan and and all of our servicemen and women there. That was not the plan. Uh, Trump's plan was to defang uh, the Taliban to see if we could work with them. And if he saw that we couldn't, then he would probably have a, a plan B. Um, and, you know, and, and lastly, you know, to say that uh, this is, you know, it's e- either or, meaning we would have to stay there indefinitely or withdraw in this fashion, it's just bogus. Uh, and like you said, there's so many uh, tactical errors that were made here that you wonder. And then when they claim that they had no way of knowing, they had no way of knowing, well, right, maybe they didn't know it was going to be so quick, meaning a matter of days versus a matter of weeks, but they knew this was coming. And we have had so many reports where uh, the White House, the State Department, were sent memos from the ground via you know, secret memo service um, from, from the Americans serving there saying, look, this is awful. The Taliban are gaining and they're going to take over the country very soon. What more do they need than that as, as a warning as to what was going to happen? I mean, a child can figure out if the Taliban are hovering overhead, they're going to be landing and taking over the country. And why leave them all of our weapons? All you know, we, what we did in, in Afghanistan for 20 years was to fortify the country to be able to fight the Taliban. But what we, in effect, did was fortify the country for the Taliban, who came in and took over and inherited the $80 billion that we invested there in terms of weapons and, and other tactical um, paraphernalia. So it's um it's it's exactly what you said. It seems like at, at every turn, it's error after error after error. So, Lisa, I just I think through um, all the different times that we've seen 
the U.S. military either enter a theater of engagement or to exit. And, you know, we have done this before. This isn't our first rodeo when it comes to, you know, leaving a country. Um, My mom used to work for Base Realignment and Closure, BRAC, which is a part of the federal government that closes down bases across the world. Once we no longer need the base, base realignment and closure creates a plan and they, you know, extract not just the people, but the equipment, all assets and prepare the base for turnover to the local government. And this uh, was done quite a bit in Europe where we have bases that we just had so many and, and, you know, so many decades out of the, out of the uh, Second World War, we just don't need them anymore. So they would, you know, close them down and it was a $4 billion a year budget that they ran to close down bases. And so those are in peacetime operations, obviously. But there is a a methodology for this. So the U.S. government and the U.S. military have these procedures in place for doing this. So every one of the uh, like modus operandi, every everything that's normal, that is a timeline, that every every plan of execution for removal of troops and assets was basically burned, blown out of the water, removed from consideration in order to execute this extraction. And over at the Foreign Desk, you have foreigndesknews.com, foreigndesknews.com, and it's linked in the show notes for those who are listening to the podcast. You can click through and you can read this article. You have one here entitled, Bin Laden wrote letter in 2010 warning that Biden would lead the U.S. into chaos. How is it that he's speaking to us from the grave about exactly what's happened over the last two weeks? You know, this is a letter that he wrote in 2010, which surfaced now. But the reason why it surfaced is um, there's a there's a book recently written on Bin Laden's life and you know what what he's what he was all about his thinking and and it seems as though he knew better than half this country that Joe Biden was not a capable leader. Uh, so it seems that he basically warned that um, you know if you're going to go after someone, don't go after Obama because if Biden then inherits this. He's going to drive the world, meaning we shouldn't go after Obama because then when Joe Biden takes over, it's going to be such a mess, and such a show that you know, he's not capable of running a country. Um, and it's interesting that the surface now because, um, and I want to read this because it's an interesting quote, um, he warned his terror organization to not target Biden because should the current president become the successor, then something would happen to Obama that he would lead the U.S. into chaos. So, um you know, it, it, it's just an interesting juxtaposition because you look at Osama bin Laden, somebody who is looking to, you know, destroy the United States and take the United States down, and he's the one saying, you know, try to, don't go after him because we want him to, you know, uh, be around in order to run for presidency and to do exactly what he's done. And the the I don't know half this country fell for it. I mean, I don't know how to how to put this better. If we didn't see this coming, I mean, maybe we didn't see it to happen this badly or this extreme of a situation, particularly regarding our foreign policy. Uh, We were all worried that uh, Joe Biden's worst foreign policy move would be to get back into an Iran nuclear deal. And um, the details on the ground are very different. We have uh, an Iranian regime that is chest-thumping and making it very difficult to send them more pallets of cash and to sit down and find a deal with them. So for that reason, that deal is on hold. But we never imagined that the withdrawal from Afghanistan would be so horrific. Uh, that would cost us so many casualties that are, again, so senseless. Um, and like you said, you know, in order of priority to give up our ACE card, to give up our number one base there, to give up Kabul, to give up the airport, 
Uh, there's another report that was out actually by the Washington Post that says that the Taliban actually wanted to strike a deal with Joe Biden and said, do you want do you want to handle Kabul? You guys can handle Kabul um, for the withdrawal, and then you know we'll take over from there. And the U.S. said, no, we don't want any part of that. Uh, that's at the Washington Post, and it's been quoted in a lot of different uh, publications. So one question, one question where this strategy or lack of strategy came from, what it was motivated by, and why more people like yourself and myself are not up in arms about this. The fact that civilians were killed in the tar- quote-unquote targeted attacks against ISIS that we had in the past few days um, in the aftermath of the explosions at Kabul airport. I mean, people would be up in arms. That's just a humanitarian crime to, to take out civilians. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet, crickets, you don't hear anything from the rest of, of, of America and um, from the mainstream media. Uh, some some are coming out, and there are some Democrat lawmakers who are coming out and trying to distance themselves from the party because they understand. I mean, if you're going to be honest with yourself, you understand what kind of catastrophe this is, and again, what the implications will be for national security and for our assets abroad going forward. Yeah, so I just, <laughs> Lisa, I have to, because this, this is, when I think of Osama bin Laden, my my most recent memory of him is the same as most Americans. We We think of him, you know, it was President Obama at the time who I did not support and I did. But I I chalk this up to President Obama making the call. We know where he is. We can get him. I agree. Let's go get him. And then our U.S. military going in and executing on assassinating this man who he masterminded the murder of thousands of Americans. And so, you know, regardless of who's in charge and what letter they have behind their name, I felt this was a great victory for us as Americans because he'd been hiding and taunting right. and leading terror attacks from from you know wherever he was for years, decades. We right. we literally right. had a victory. It felt so good. But at the time, I can tell you if you know, if I was a betting woman, I would bet you back then 10 grand that I would never say what I'm about to say right now, which is we would have been in a better position 3 weeks ago when they began to fully extract the U.S. military from Afghanistan, had Obama been president, then mm. right now with Biden as president. And, and the proof of that is in your article here where you quote him. He says he's, he's actually actively plotting to assassinate President Obama just before we killed him. He says he, this, is, this is Obama's nemesis, like bin Laden and Obama are nemesis at this point. And he says, well you know, I want to memorialize 9-11 with another spectacular strike. But he wouldn't actually want to take out Obama because it would make Biden the head, which is the norm over here. He's talking about our, our, you know, succession. He says Biden is totally unprepared for the post, which would lead the U.S. into a crisis. So he knew who Biden was back Mm -hmm. then. Right. He knew who Biden was back then, A. And B, to follow up on your point, you bring up one of the most, you know, I, I would say compelling points in all of this is to say how far we've come as a country where we're looking at Obama even being more right than Joe Biden, which they're not actually, because I remember when Joe Biden was campaigning and everyone would say, well, at least on foreign policy, he's extremely strong. Maybe he is, but the country's in a very different place. And I think that that's, to, to your point, to say apples to apples, 
if we had information on uh, Osama bin Laden today, let's say he was still you know, out and about, and we had this on the one-yard line, and Trump put us on the one-yard line to catch Osama bin Laden, this administration would, would do something to free him or to <laughs> help him. Uh, you know, what I'm trying to say is that's what they inherited, Afghanistan on the one-yard line, and they fumbled. And they gave more power and more legitimacy. And now they're talking about diplomacy with the Taliban. And, you know, again, apples to apples, it's exactly what you're saying. Why is it that under President Obama, who is probably as an individual, a much more liberal-minded individual than Joe Biden is, look at where the country has come. We talk about the squad and these influences of the woke culture in a way that, um, you know, whenever I talk about them, people will come and comment and say, you know, are you giving them too much credit? They're just, you know, the media gives them too much credit. You're giving them too much credit. Their influence is not that important and doesn't really affect our policy. It does. It does because that's where we've come as a country, where it's almost a faux pas to say, we need to lead. We need to win. We need to be number one. We want to get our troops out of harm's way, but we don't need to bend over while we're doing it and to leave a country with 13 more casualties. You know, and I think that's that's really the difference here. It's to say, if we're involved in foreign policy and endeavors like the one in Afghanistan or anywhere else in the world, then then we have to be on the same page in a bipartisan fashion to say our foreign policy is to do X, Y, and Z in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria, wherever we are. But when you have people like Joe Biden in office who are just natural born losers, not winners, then we might as well have an isolationist policy. We shouldn't be in those places to begin with. We don't need him to withdraw. I wish that Trump had handled the withdrawal and we wouldn't be where we're at because it would have gone much, much, you know, which Mm. with fewer, fewer incidences and casualties that we wouldn't be talking about. Last night, um, Secretary of State Blinken said, you know, we have to, the Taliban has to now earn its legitimacy and, and, and global support. And it's so troublesome to hear these words out of the Secretary of State's mouth, where a terror organization, he's saying that a terror organization has to earn global legitimacy and global support. I mean, it's, you cannot, it's, it's an oxymoron to talk about a moderate terrorist group. There's no such thing. Um, that's the same thing they wanted to do with the Iranian regime, to sit down with them, and it didn't work, and it backfired, and it only empowered them more, and they are just something beyond now, saber-rattling, calling all the shots, making fun of the United States. And uh, now the Taliban has the upper hand because that's the way we left it. And that's the tone that has been set from this White House. So, Lisa, you said something there that I, w- I want to just I want to put a pin in it really quickly. And that is the Taliban earning legitimacy. I believe that's the reason why we didn't bomb the planes, the drones, all of the different assets that were left behind, because the Biden administration, like Pollyanna's, like, you know, it's an insult Mm -hmm. to children to compare them to toddlers or eight-year-olds, because Mm -hmm. even toddlers and eight-year-olds are very shrewd and astute in getting what they want. Uh, The Biden administration, they're like nincompoops or or weapons-grade morons, Mm -hmm. assuming that they can basically, through diplomacy, convert a terror organization into exactly. a nation state that can be dealt with. So because I've been wondering to myself, why would we leave the equipment behind? Even uh, Barack Obama would not have left the equipment behind had the same turn of events happened under his watch and 13 people were killed. You know, he was the drone king. He probably mm-hmm. would have unleashed drones and destroyed mm-hmm. all kinds of Taliban suspected strongholds using in- intel to make sure that they were targeted strikes. And there would be no discussion about any innocence if they were killed because he would say, 
you know, 13 American soldiers lost their lives. And so America struck back and everyone would be golf clapping and saying, you know, he's the strongest president we've ever had. And I wouldn't agree with that, but at least we know he would have done that based on the droning that he did while he was in office. He droned an American citizen in the Middle East and no one batted an eye. So I know that he wouldn't have done that, but I think you've just unlocked for me because I've been asking so many guests, Lisa, on a serious, anyone I can talk to, I'm like, why are we leaving the equipment? I just don't understand why we're, mm-hmm. why are we leaving the equipment? I sound like a, a parrot. Why are we leaving the equipment? Mm-hmm. Well, if what you're saying, and obviously it's accurate because Blinken said it yesterday, I was watching the live stream. It was as if he was taking a victory lap. If they assume that by treating the Taliban like a nation state, they will be a nation state. Mm-hmm. And there's no need to destroy the equipment because exactly. they would use it for the good of the Afghan people and to protect themselves. And so we would then have an ally in the Middle exactly. East. Nonsense. This is a continuation of the Obama appeasement strategy that he tried to empl- he tried to employ this everywhere. He went to Saudi Arabia. He tried to do it. He did it with the Iranian regime where he tried to keep, keep them try. He put us in, a, in the Iran nuclear deal that was horrendous and gave them all this cash. He tried to do it with the Muslim Brotherhood during the Arab Spring of Egypt. He said, "Okay, the, the Arab Spring can come in, and you know we support them. They're you know they're they're lovely. They put up soup kitchens and they put up schools and madrasas, and you know sidestepping the fact that they're a terror organization, but completely giving them legitimacy and completely thinking that through diplomacy we can create you know a a legitimate government out of the Taliban. Uh, and that's exactly the same mindset here. You you really hit the nail on the head in saying." That why is it that we're not more alarmed that the, a terror organization is taking over a country, a, a military, an arsenal, you know, $80 billion worth of, of fortification that we help, you know, nourish and grow that country and its military assets? Um, and why are we not up in arms? Well, it's exactly like you said. They should they should have a chance to. They they deserve a trophy too, right? Last place deserves a trophy too. Terror organization deserves uh, some you know some weapons and and some drones and some jets and um, you know I'm sure they left this, the fridge stocked and the coffee warm and 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 they left. Um, this is the same mentality, and you know it's dangerous. It's completely dangerous. And as I said, this is going to. Um, have very far-reaching effects. This is a, you know, a, a, a notch on the belt of terrorists in the region, of the Iranian regime, of Hezbollah, Hamas, anybody who, and, and don't listen to those who try to distract and say, oh, ISIS, that's why we're, you know, the Pentagon briefing the other day was just mind-blowing, where they actually, the spokesman came out and actually said that we are sharing intel with the Taliban in order to pin down ISIS-K, who are the perpetrators of the attacks at the airport. This is good cop, bad cop play. This is a complete farce. This is garbage. They're both terror organizations. There's no reason why the United States should give them any list or any intel or any information whatsoever. And in doing so, they're only empowering them, maybe perhaps because they want to, as you said, uh, this is this is a, a, a larger you know plan, a much more macro perspective on it is to say that they we want to legitimize them, and in, in doing so, now we're working with them. Oh, look at that! Now we have a partner on the ground, the Taliban. They're our friends, they're our allies, and they're helping us get ISIS K. This the, the the Democrats have always used ISIS as the boogeyman. You know, when in doubt, oh, there's ISIS. What happened when Trump came into office? Trump, you know, ISIS was no longer. They were like some wannabe jihadis that operated out of caves, and they were done. It was done. And now, all of a sudden, they're back on the scene. And I'm not saying that they're not there. There is an ISIS threat. But it is not, 
you know, it does not wash away the threat of the Taliban taking over an entire country, having weapons, having, you know, all of this at, at, at their disposal. And I've always said, look at what al-Qaeda was able to do out of caves. Look what ISIS was able to do out of their little holes in Syria and Iraq. Now imagine a terror organization in the form of the Taliban having an entire country at their disposal. Hmm. Well, you know, I think when great minds get together, when I'm able to access the analysis and, uh, you know, really you're, you're lasering down using history, using what we know of the past and connecting it all together to paint a clearer picture of what's just happened. Uh, it just makes us sharper, but it also it shows us the seriousness of allowing um, emotionality into U.S. elections and the path and trajectory that we're on with leadership going from Obama to Biden. Things are getting worse in this country because we are allowing people to go into the White House who have no business there. Uh, but I can tell you who does have amazing business being somewhere, and that's you over at the Foreign Desk. Lisa Daftari, editor-in-chief, investigative journalist, and all-around friend of both of my programs. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and stay safe out there. And, and certainly, uh, please continue on with what you're doing. It's so important to have you uh, in the space speaking truth to power on these issues. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you so much. All right. I have one more thing for you today, and that is our advertiser, the Alliance for Shared Health. We are so excited to have them uh, sponsoring our show and Family Vision Media. We are really great uh partners with them and they are partners with us and we love having that and I want you to know how much you can save. I'm talking about savings of up to 80% not just on your prescriptions but on your actual virtual care provider that's free uh, you also have healthcare expenses your need sharing for critical illness, accidents dental and vision, all of that is cheaper if you use the Alliance for Shared Health. You can join over 40,000 households in this health share ministry and they are actually making a difference in the lives of others who share their values, and that can include you. Reach out to Ash today. Head over to StaceyOnTheRight.com or FamilyVisionMedia.org. Click the banner ad. Sign up. The Alliance for Shared Health. Changing healthcare, changing lives. All right. That is Stacy on the Right, the podcast. <laughs> Another great episode. Share the show. If you love it, share it on your social media. Beat the algorithm. Post the link to the podcast everywhere. I'll be back with you next time. God bless.